Greetings, patrons. I'm going to give you a little breaking news before I open today's B-side. Just about an hour ago, the news broke that Elizabeth Warren has officially dropped out of the Democratic Party primary race. This interview with Ben Burgess that you're about to hear was recorded one day prior. And so we did not have this information when we were speculating about various outcomes and other Super Tuesday related concerns. But we did, you know, this this doesn't really nullify anything that we've said, fortunately, like, thank God, right? When you do a political show and you don't do it live and there's a little little bit of a gap between the time that you record and the time that you release, you always kind of cross your fingers that nothing wild and crazy will happen that will nullify all the hard work you put into the previous episode. So uh, I'm still happy and proud to bring you this interview with Ben Burgess that you're about to listen to. Um, there's a lot of valuable content in there, but I did want to do a little bit of an intro to suggest that we might have proceeded a little differently had we had this news in advance. A lot of the signs were pointing to Warren bowing out of the race, despite the fact that by her own words, following her defeat, her resounding defeat in Super Tuesday, by her own words, uh, she was in this thing for the long haul. So uh, it looks like she has bowed to various pressures and realities, and we'll see what happens. You know, the big story here is that she has declined to endorse anyone at this phase. So unlike... Klobuchar and Buttigieg, who dropped out the day before Super Tuesday and immediately orchestrated a public endorsement of Joe Biden, Warren, the so-called alleged progressive beacon, the progressive firebrand herself, has dropped out of the race and refused to endorse anyone. Sources inside the campaign are telling various news outlets at this very early stage that uh, they are undecided. They're having an internal debate about whether or not they come out and endorse Bernie for the obvious reasons, the seemingly obvious reasons, or whether or not they opt to side with the Biden campaign in hopes of landing some cabinet-level position where she could, I don't know, get something done, right? But this calculation is at the heart of Elizabeth Warren's wrong-headed analysis of the way that politics works in America and anywhere for that for that matter. She has no political economic perspective. She has a terrible understanding of how you get things accomplished. It is not by reaching across the aisle. It is not by making compromises. It is not by releasing white papers and having all of the big, bold, bright ideas in the world. It's about power. It's about building real constituencies that can make things and people move in society. And Warren, of course, has no vision of that whatsoever, despite all of her hand-waving towards the grassroots and big structural change. So this is unfortunately quite predictable. It is very much in alignment with Warren's way of proceeding up to this point. So disappointing, I would say, yes, we would like to see the news cycle being flipped on its head here. And uh, we'd like to see Sanders get some momentum out of this thing, but not today, folks, not today. This very well could turn around in the coming days, but for now, I just thought I would give you all an update. So without further ado, here is my interview with Ben Burgess. Thanks again, patrons. Welcome, everybody, to today's episode of Dead Pundit Society. I am your host, as always, Adam Proctor, somewhat deflated but still optimistic that we can be victorious in this Democratic Party primary race. Bernie Sanders, of course, took 
a hit last night in the Super Tuesday, which turned out to not be so super for Bernie bros out there far and wide. So from our vantage point today, it looks like Bernie Sanders has reigned victorious in four states, including California. The results are still out in California. There are 415 delegates up for grabs. They're 90% reporting at the time of recording. And it looks like he's going he's gonna to carry a pretty big haul. But essentially, we're waiting on California because despite the fact that Biden won the vast majority of the states up for grabs, there are a ton of delegates in California. And Bernie could more than make up for those lost states by hauling in a large percentage of the delegates there. No question that Warren played the role of the spoiler in many places. But even despite that, Bernie has some troubles largely stemming from the mainstream's consensus around Joe Biden, a guy who we all thought was all but out of it just a couple of weeks ago. So joining me on the program to talk about this and much, much more is good friend of the show, author, Jacobin columnist, professor, a man of logic and reason, (laughs) Ben Burgess. Thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks, man. So talk to us a little bit. You just penned a piece, a response piece for Jacobin about the Super Tuesday results it's a little gloom and doom, and how could, how could it not be? I think a lot of us were hoping for a much more um, a much stronger showing. It seems like we woke up you know three days ago in a very different world, and suddenly we're finding ourselves in a, in a primary race that's far more contested, far more heated, and, and it's feeling a little bit like it's out of our grasp. But but of course that's going too far. We're still in this fight. But what were your what were your immediate reactions as you woke up to the news this morning? That uh, folks like Rachel Maddow, James Carville, the other mainstream dead pundits are at this point clamoring for an an all but inevitable uh, Joe Biden victory. Yeah, uh, it's incredibly depressing. And in fact, you know, when I was starting to try to write that article for for Jacobin, it was kind of slow going. Uh, Sean Good, who's an editor there, uh, had asked me yesterday, you know, before any results had come in, if I'd write the article and then, uh, <laughs> and I said, sure. And then, um, and then after the results came in, I, I was having some trouble with it. And I did, I did see a, uh, a tweet by, um, by Megan day, which cheered me up a lot where, you know, where she, she kind of said, look guys, you know, this is Bernie is 45 delegates behind after this. Uh, there are thousands left up for grabs, this is not the, you know, this is not the end of anything. Biden is still incredibly weak, chin up. And, you know, that 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 definitely helped. But I was also trying not to not to just come off like I was writing this for the Bernie Sanders Ministry of Propaganda, uh, you know, and and I, and I was telling the, you know, you know, mixed metaphors a little bit. I was telling the citizens of Baghdad to, you know, to not pay attention to the American tanks they could see rolling through the streets. Uh <laughs> You know, I mean, obviously, this is a bad night, and there's no um, there's no sugarcoating that. And I mean, like the la- especially because the last thing I had in Jacobin, you know, which came out uh, two days ago, was all about all the reasons to be optimistic about this, about you know Bernie's momentum. And obviously, things you know things did not turn out the way that I and you and we had hoped uh, they would turn out. And so, so what I was trying to do in the new article is to make the best case that I could that, you know, there are, there are some silver linings here, that there's a path forward, you know, that there's a, 
that in some ways this even simplifies our task, but in a way that doesn't require pretending, you know, pretending not to understand that this is a huge setback, which it just is. So no, no meme worthy Iraqi intelligence minister posturing after, after this loss on, uh, even less super Wednesday, the day after. Uh, and yet like our good comrades, friends of the show, Megan day, and even Branko Marchatich have reminded us, uh, and will continue to remind us, you know, Joe Biden is a remarkably weak opponent for Bernie Sanders. And in many senses, he is the perfect opponent for Bernie Sanders. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. Of course, Bloomberg would have been a little bit better. But I mean, let's – who are we kidding? He was never going to make it that far. He was – I mean, I, I just – I mean, I'm a little embarrassed for even imagining that he could have – he could have somehow made it past Super Tuesday uh, with those – dashing oratory skills. Of this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, the difference between Biden and Bloomberg, um, is, uh, if you remember that old Simpsons episode where Mr. Burns blocks out the sun and Kent Rock <laughs> is reading the news yeah. and he says, you know, today, Mr. Burns crossed the threshold from day to day villainy to cartoonish super villainy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, you know, that's definitely the Biden Bloomberg distinction, uh, that, uh, that, you know, Biden, you know, has some political skills and Bloomberg doesn't. And also that Bloomberg is just, you know, I mean, Biden has a terrible record, but, you know, Bloomberg is in certain respects just much more cartoonishly evil. But, you know, and, and I also think that so there, there are two things, though, that do make Biden a, a good opponent. Right. One uh, is that just on an ideological level, he makes an extraordinarily uh, straightforward contrast for Bernie. And like it's it's easy to kind of forget where we started. Put your mind back to uh, last summer when all this was just starting, and everybody thought that the um, uh, that the establishment candidate was going to be Kamala Harris. Uh, then yeah. uh, back then, uh, in a lot of ways, the ideological lines were a lot blurrier. Like several. Uh, non-Bernie candidates had uh, co-sponsored his Medicare for All bill, for example, including Harris. Um, And people raising their hand on the debate stage, you know, promising that they would (laughs) abolish private insurance, you know? Uh, Yeah, this is remarkable stuff. I mean, I think, hey, Ben Burgess, God damn it. I knew I brought you on the show for a reason. I'm feeling better already. I mean, let's remind ourselves, right? Like there were people – uh, you know, these these wannabes, these posers trying to occupy the Bernie lane in the American political scene, you know, Beto O'Rourke and obviously Buddha Judge, uh, RIP to a real one there. Um <laughs> and a number of other people, Kamala Harris and and others who who really, you know, were were playing the kind of uh they're 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 vying for the Bernie light spot, right? Like uh just like Bernie, just half the calories and and less problematic with the American people, you know? And it was like and that was working, right? It was working. For, for absolutely, time. yeah, and so you're absolutely right to point to the fact that this is this has clarified. I mean, on the one hand, it just I mean, it, it just makes me blind with rage sure. you know, to think about the way <laughs> that these people who sat there and forced this idea down our throats that they're they're just as progressive as, as Bernie, but they just have better ideas or a better approach or they're nicer, like Buttigieg <laughs> or, or what have you, um, you know, and, and there those people are now you know uh, openly siding with. You know, the establishment candidate that we've, uh, you know, that we've opposed ourselves, you know, been in opposition to all along. 
Absolutely. And, you know, Biden was the only person back then who wasn't pretending <laughs> like uh, like like there was Biden was the one guy on the stage where there was just no pretense whatsoever that he was kind of sort of a little bit like Bernie Sanders. Yeah. yeah. You know, he's he's always he's always been pretty open um, about what he is and his traditional calculation. Well, OK, one, it's helped that, you know, uh, that in the past you know, he hasn't been debating Bernie Sanders, right? In the past, he's been debating, you know, Paul Ryan. Uh, and, but then also that, you know, he has this kind of, you know, just one of the folks affect, you know, that he talks a lot about Scranton and, you know, and he takes the train and all this stuff. And, um, and, you know, as, as uh, as cheap as that is, you know, it goes a certain distance, and you know, he's got some swagger to him. You know, he has some political skills. Like I, I'm, I'm willing to admit that if Biden had had been the Democratic nominee in 2016, he probably would have won. Uh, you know, just because like it's not all about policy. You know, there there are other things going on. I mean, I think you know, I think a version of Hillary Clinton who. Uh, who did not campaign in Michigan because her algorithm told her not to probably would have won. Uh, you yeah. know? And, I think, I mean, you know, there's something to think about it. You know, Biden has a number of interpersonal skills. He has some, some, some rhetorical skills. I mean, he's a con artist, classic used car salesman. Yeah. He had, but he has that kind of, uh, you know, that delivery that just, you know, for whatever reason, the American people, a large percentage of the American people just eat up. Uh, hopefully that's on the way out. We'll see. Uh, in, well, in, but that's, but that's the other thing, thing too, on the subject of this, not just being about policy. Like I said, in terms of policy, Biden, Bernie is the clearest possible contrast you could hope for. Um, and, and that, that goes a long way. And I think the more we can do to remind people those differences, the better, uh, as I saw Matt Carp pointing out, uh, every state where the exit polls asked, totally. uh, about Medicare for all, uh, last night, uh, most people said they supported it, right? So, the fact that Biden won most most of those states, one of the things it tells me is that we need to do do a better job of spreading the word about just how bad Biden's positions are, right? A lot of people a lot of people aren't aware of that. Uh, but the other thing is that because it's not just about policy, yeah, four years ago when he had all his faculties about him, I believe that uh, that Biden would have beat Trump, but not this year. And that could be a reason for doom and gloom because my God, right? Uh, this this uh, this guy is uh, this husk of Joe Biden is is winning the Democratic primary, and then not only that, but you know he's going to get the nomination, and then like he's not even going to win, right? We're not even going to get a bad neoliberal Democrat. We're going to get four more years of you know kids in cages and the rest of it. Uh, but it's not necessarily a reason for doom and gloom because. It's also something that a lot of primary voters are tracking, right? You know, that if if we're if if people are voting at least as much based on electability calculations as on policy, which is indicated by that Medicare for all question, uh, then the electability case against Joe Biden, uh, the nice thing is it kind of makes itself, or maybe he's 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 making it himself, uh, like the the more uh, maybe cerebral part of that is although i don't think it's that complicated i think i think that this is something that we absolutely can communicate to ordinary voters you know convincingly is that you know his his trade policies in particular uh are would play disastrously in michigan wisconsin and pennsylvania 
but then like there's a more kind of crass and obvious part of it, which is, you know, he, he can't remember whether which of the women standing next to him in his victory speech is his wife and which one is his sister. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> Like, oh, like, my dear, me, sexy, beautiful, gorgeous, love of my life sister, Jill. That's uh, <laughs> <laughs> one of the hardest things I've had to listen to. Hardest Biden gaffes that I, I had to listen and, to. It and, was. And, and, <laughs> I mean, come on. Remember how much fun Donald Trump had with Marco Rubio's bottle of water? Imagine what he'd do with that. Oh, my God. I mean, Sleepy Joe <laughs> is, is, is uh, you know, benign compared to what we're going to see. I mean, so let's, you know, one of the things I was getting to just a moment ago, it's a bit of an aside, but I think it's worth going there in that, you know, Biden has a lot of skills that the American people just eat up. I should say certain generations of Americans eat up this kind of yeah. you know, this affect that he sort of uh, exudes. I think that's on the way out. Thank God. Uh, but but it's to say that you know he's authentic. He's authentically a mainstream sort of you know more neoliberal Democrat. He doesn't hide it on the debate stage. You know, in, in between his little folksy asides about corn pop and you know and 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 sock hops, you know he's um, he's pretty consistent and unabashed. And so is Sanders. And so in a way, you know, this is vindication of that no bullshit approach. <laughs> no bullshit on one side, no malarkey on the other. Um, and, and, and you, you see the wannabes and, and the posers uh, dropping out and falling off by the wayside. But, but well, I mean, let's be serious. One of Biden's most um, important skills, if you will, was having been Obama's vice president for eight years. Uh, prior to that, he couldn't win anything except for his Senate seat, which was more or less gifted to him by the party state party bosses. And, and you know, in, in, as a lot of people have pointed out, prior to South Carolina, he had never won. A, a state uh, primary or caucus, uh, despite having tried what well, I mean, how many decades. times? Five or six times. Yes. Um, <clears throat> you know, and so he's he's coming on like gangbusters, but there's just a lot of you know name recognition and familiarity with Obama. It begs the question: Have we, as the socialist left and even progressive left, have we been too nice to Obama? Is it time now to take off the kid gloves when we talk about that legacy? When we talk about that record? Uh, because Biden's going to stand on that stage and he's going to say, remember the glory days when I was with – hey, my Biden's not so bad. I should work on that, Ben. I could polish that up a little bit. Remember the days when I was with uh, you know, uh, me and uh, Barack and we did these things and you know, uh, you know, whatever. He doesn't really you – know, he, he doesn't point to any policies, but it's just, it's just uh, remember when, when the world was simpler and uh, gas cost you know, a dollar a gallon and uh, – there was no Trump and no kids in cages that that the media gave a shit to report about. Anyway. Right, 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 right. Um, and and the world was happy and birds sang and all the rest of it. Is it time for us to go for the jugular with respect to the Obama and what that era uh, represented? Yeah, I mean that's tricky because because uh, despite everything, um, you know, o- Obama does remain this this incredibly. Um, you know, this incredibly popular figure. I mean, I remember even in 2016, I, I had this, uh, it used to drive me crazy. Like when I would see like cars, you know, that were, they still had the Obama, you know, 2012 sticker right next to the Bernie 2016 one. And I think, what, what are you thinking? Right? Like, these are- this concludes your free teaser of this week's B-side. Head over to patreon.com slash deadpundits and subscribe today to hear the rest of this episode and to double your DPS pleasure each week.